from the National Catholic Register. This is Register Radio, bringing light and clarity to the news and topics that affect your life. Heightened attention is on the Supreme Court again these days over issues of abortion and religious liberty. Today, Register columnist and EWTN News legal analyst Andrea Pichotti Bayer provides insights into the court's latest cases, including the ruling on the abortion pill and the oral arguments the justices heard for a formal poster worker who refused to work on Sunday. Then we turn to hear about a Catholic university that's stepping up its commitment to life and dignity by offering the young single moms there childcare, housing, and a compassionate community. Loretta Brown has the story. I'm Jeanette DeMello, Executive Director of the National Catholic Register, your host here on Register Radio. And I remember last year, around this time, really probably the beginning of May, uh, there were a lot of tensions <laughs> picking up over uh, the expectations that the Supreme Court would rule soon on Dobbs. And we all know how that turned out. Uh, this year has been a big year uh, regarding abortion. And we're looking again at more monumental decisions um, from the court, perhaps not quite as big, um, but all of us who tend to watch the Supreme Court are beginning to kind of pick up our ears for the end of this term. And of course, we rely at the register on Andrea Pichotti Bayer, our legal analyst uh, and our commentator here on Register Radio for this type of news. So welcome back, Andrea, to Register Radio. Uh, Thanks for having me, Jeanette. It's always great to talk with you. Well, it's always great to get your insights. And as I, as I said, we're not expecting such monumental decisions as we might have had last year, or we did have last year. Um, but it's really been a, a few busy weeks for the courts and I'm, for the Supreme Court, and I'm sure the next um, few weeks, the next month and a half, will be um, you know, equally busy. Um, the, the, court, the case that I mentioned in, in my lead-in um, is, is really a big one. Um, it's a re- religious liberty case. Um, they heard, the court heard oral arguments April 18th, uh, in this case about a formal poster worker who is seeking to defend his right to keep holy the Sabbath. Uh, Gerald Groff, I believe is how you pronounce his name. And you've written about this case for the register. Um, what do we know? You know, it's interesting. I remember growing up where you just didn't get mail on Sundays, and (laughs) all of that changed with Amazon. And this is a very interesting look at, I think, American commerce and religious freedom, as well as the day of rest. And as you mentioned before, Gerald Groff was a mailman out in a, a post office in rural Pennsylvania. He's a Sabbatarian Christian, and when he started working for the post office, they didn't deliver the mail on Sundays. Um, but eventually, the USPS uh, entered into an agreement with Amazon to deliver packages on Sundays and holidays. And so Groff and his other colleagues, co-workers, were asked to deliver packages, and their scheduling changed. He mentioned to his postmaster his beliefs to that he had to take a strict observance of the Sabbath. And at first, they were able to make scheduling adjustments to accommodate his religious beliefs. But eventually, they found that coworkers were grumbling and um, Groff was being scheduled on Sundays and wouldn't show up because he was choosing not to violate the tenets of his beliefs. 
he eventually quit, filed suit, and he filed suit under Title VII. Title VII is the Federal Anti-Discrimination and Employment Act, which prohibits discrimination based on a number of factors, um, race and religion as well as one of those factors. And in amendments to that act, it placed the obligation on employers to accommodate religious Mm -hmm. beliefs. Now, this is for employers that have more than 15 employees, and the Postal Service has more than 15 employees, so they're covered. Um, And so what Groff was asking for was his statutory rights to an accommodation that would allow him to keep working uh, for his his employer at the post office and not violate his beliefs. He He lost in the lower courts, and the Supreme Court is looking at what is the obligation of an employer, and what's a defense? And so they're re-looking at some prior cases where, in the 70s, the Supreme Court said, you know, anything more than a minimal burden um, is is an excuse to having to accommodate. And the Supreme Court is saying, you know, I think it was best said by Justice Neil Gorsuch, Civil rights laws don't deal with trifling issues. They deal with significant ones. And the standard that courts should be using for what is an excuse to an accommodation shouldn't just be a little bit more than a mere trifle, but a heavy burden. And so it's it was a, a great oral argument. Um, I think in the end, the court will vindicate Groff's rights under Title VII, but it really does give all of us a chance to think about how are we using our time of rest and supporting um, and supporting other American workers who who really want to give glory to God on Sundays and on Saturdays if they are are Orthodox Jews that sort of thing. Right, right. You know that's really what struck me too, uh, Andrea. You know. You really don't expect a keep holy the Sabbath kind of case to make it, you know, all the way to the Supreme Court. And the fact that it has, uh, and that, you know, you're, inter- you know, you're interpreting kind of the questions and the, the, the disposition of the court in, in the oral arguments to mean that, you know, this, he may be vindicated, that, you know, he may, he may actually um, be able to keep holy the Sabbath and keep his job, <laughs> you know, um, th- this is this is pretty big, and my my thought was, gosh, does um, do we damage this the you know the the chances of this case um, of him being vindicated by actually not living our faith so often you know that we we accept to work and whatnot on the Sabbath without giving it as much thought or as, without defending our right um, and our belief. Uh, who have come? Who else has come to his defense? I mean, how how have the amicus briefs been, and and are people supporting him? Are, are religious groups supporting him? Is it is this a controversy even even there? You know, it's really interesting. That was something that came up in oral argument, and Justice Samuel Alito was pressing the Biden administration solicitor general on this very issue. Um, She was saying, hey, look, this isn't coming up at all. Everything is working fine. There's nothing Mm -hmm. to see here. And um, Justice Alito pointed out that there were several amicus briefs from minority religious 
faith traditions in the U.S. saying, this is a really important issue for members of our faith community. These were Muslim groups, Orthodox Jewish groups, filing briefs saying this isn't um, just an issue for strict Christian Sabbatarians, but this is something that's affecting our faith traditions as well. And um, I think it really does give us a chance to recognize that these protections, religious freedom protections, are for all faith traditions, for all believers, but are particularly important when we're dealing with a society that's becoming more and more secularized, where even in our own um, experience of our faith, we're a little less um, kind of demanding of ourselves. And we can think back to just how generations ago people lived uh, Lenten observances much more right. strictly than, than we're doing today. It's, it's not to say that we're bad Catholics or people that you know, are working on Sundays because of need are bad Christians. They're putting their, their, their work before their faith. But it is a reminder that we can all rally, even if it's not something that we're choosing to exercise in the way that Gerald Groff is. Um, we can re rally behind his right to say, this is important to me. And that, that the laws there, um, I saw a lot of commentary about this case saying that they're going to expand Title VII. No, they're not. They're going to vindicate and enforce it. Absolutely. Well, I, it is a very good reminder to make sure that um, our actions are, are, are truly reflecting our beliefs. So that's a, that's a serious thing for any religious person to do. Um, you, have, um, uh, you have another very important case, I think, before uh, the court right now. And I know um, this ruling that we're going to speak of was not uh, certainly not a final word on this. It's, it's going to pick up. And I'm thinking last week of the Supreme Court ruling on access to the abortion pill. And this is this is really um, probably one of the most heated abortion debates there is right now. Um, so this was, um, well, it's complicated. So tell you, you're the expert. You tell me what happened. <laughs> I think it was a bit unexpected. Um, but please, can you describe what happened, the ruling on the uh, abortion pill and what's, what's to come? Well, I want to kind of preface it by saying um, the abortion jurisprudence has always been off the rails, and that should be a <laughs> reminder too. And I think I think it was Justice Clarence Thomas who's, who said that um, abortion really does rock the rule of law, yes. and not rock in a good way. It it really does unsettle the rule of law, um, and so we're seeing that play out. Obviously, um, it's been a year almost a year since the court uh, recognized that the Constitution doesn't give a, a constitutional right to an abortion. This case is dealing with um, how abortions are procured. And um, surprisingly, more than half of abortions today in America are chemical abortions. They're not surgical abortions, but they're chemical abortions that are the product of um, a, a woman who's pregnant taking two pills. And um, what's at issue in this case is the Federal Food and Drug Administration's approval of the two pills and the expanded access and the lowering of oversight of the administration of these pills in recent years. So not only the, the safety um, and effectiveness, I guess, of these pills in the first place, but how um, any kind of sensible, reasonable oversight has been dropped in the last few years. Uh, a case was filed in 
a district court in Texas. Um, and the district court judge there held hearings and said, whoa, you know, hey, this is really a regulatory um, problem. And he issued an order um, stopping the access for these pills. The Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals stayed um, some of that order that meant stop the order from going into effect to allow it to look at the merits with with according to a, a briefing schedule with oral argument, that sort of thing. The Biden administration then went to the Supreme Court asking for emergency relief, um, basically to to allow the status quo to continue. And the court granted their request, but it didn't get to the issues of the merits. It didn't look at the Food and uh, Drug Administration's um, change of the normal oversight and practice of this terrible, in my opinion, um, cocktail of drugs. Right. Um, but we do know that there's a, a fast track, uh, expedited briefing and argument is going to happen in the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals, May 17th. These are courts that are taking a serious look at it. I right. don't doubt that the issue is going to go to the Supreme Court and there will be argument. It may be on its own schedule, uh, may not be the normal course um, of briefing, but it does give pro-life Americans the chance to talk about the dangers of these pills and the alternatives. What is available to pregnant women who don't have the normal supports that they think they, they need mm -hmm. and how we can direct them to those supports, whether it's pro-life pregnancy centers, support from extended family, adoption, foster care, right. you name it. This is We're a time for all of us to speak more loudly. Just a few minutes, we'll talk more about one of those kind of programs that really seeks to help women when we talk to Loretta Brown uh, about a new program at a, a Catholic university. I do want to end on one note. We're, we're over time already, but I just I have to ask. So many people were disappointed in the Supreme Court. They say, you know, there are now a majority of, let's quote unquote, conservative justices. Um, why did they rule this? Uh, what, what can you say about this kind of court watching and, and just the disappointments with these kind of decisions? Well, I think um, it's important to know that the court didn't rule on the merits. Um, they're giving the lower court of appeals the opportunity to do so. And they used this emergency docket that the Biden administration used the emergency docket to kind of force the court's hand on things. Um, there isn't much of a paper trail to know what individual justices were thinking. We only know a dissent by Justice Samuel Alito and a written, just a, a vote of dissent by Justice Clarence Thomas. But I think it's important that we just keep praying, um, be patient, and know that never before has the judiciary been in the position that it is to be able to look seriously at these issues um, with a critical eye and really look for the good, the common good, and the good of um, women and their children in a vulnerable position um, and questioning kind of the, the lack of oversight that we are in currently. So n hope is not lost, but that should just inspire us to greater prayer on these issues. Right. Well, Andrea, thank you for your time and, and for your attention to this important subject. I would invite our listeners to go to ncregister.com and search Andrea M. Pichotti-Bayer, and you will find a wealth of commentary uh, on these issues, especially around religious liberty. 
You're listening to Register Radio. We're going to take a short break. There is more when we return. If you need your news on the go, read the Register online. But if you want to take your time and savor the stories, then subscribe to the National Catholic Register's print edition. And with award-winning Catholic journalism that goes beyond what you'll find from any secular news service, you'll get the real story behind the events that unfold over the course of the year. Try the Register for free today and get it delivered to your home, office, or parish. Join the Catholics who depend on the Register for its faithful and courageous reporting. Get six issues free today online at ncregister.com forward slash radio or call 800-421-3230 and mention code radio. That's ncregister.com forward slash radio or call 800-421-3230 and mention code radio. The National Catholic Register. Read faithfully. Let's return to Register Radio on EWTN. Welcome back. I'm Jeanette DeMello, Executive Director of the National Catholic Register. You know, babies aren't really a common sight on college campuses for good reason. It's not an easy lifestyle to be a mom and a student. But some women are valiantly making it work, and one community in North Dakota is helping them do it. Loretta Brown, the Register's national correspondent, who's usually in Washington, D.C., actually traveled uh, to University of Mary in Bismarck, North Dakota last week, where a new program is being highlighted as a potential model of care for women who have had unexpected pregnancies, and these women happen to be students. Uh, Welcome back to Register Radio, Loretta. Hi, Jeanette. Thanks for having me back on. Yeah, well, welcome back to D.C. And uh, (laughs) I can't wait to hear about your trip out to Bismarck and and what you found at University of Mary. What what did you find in this this new budding program? Yeah, it was really wonderful to learn about this program. Um, Just the idea that for a Catholic university to really step up and say, okay, we're pro-life, you know, and what that means too is that in situations where a woman is pursuing a degree, um, you know, seeking to get an education and really support herself when she's faced with an unplanned pregnancy and she doesn't have resources, you know, a lot of these women just don't have people in their lives that are, are stepping up and helping them with childcare with material resources, um, we can actually do something about it. You know, so it's really incredible to to talk about to talk to those who who kind of designed this program about meeting these needs. And it was really amazing to witness in, it in action as well to to meet these young ladies. Um, they have two young mothers now in this program. It's called the St. Teresa of Calcutta Community for Mothers. And essentially, it's just the college experience. They they have covered room and board. Um, and they've they have childcare um, just covered for these mothers so that they can you know pursue actually kind of these rigorous challenging <laughs> degree programs um, while they have their babies right there with them on the campus in school and it was really yeah it was incredible to see you know the, the university they definitely were very thoughtful about their approach to this right. um, they were very resourceful but it was also so doable it was something where I thought oh wow. 
you know, it's definitely something Catholic schools can learn so much from to see this is very practical to be able to provide something like this. I want to know more of the details. It's, um, it is not providing for tuition, right? So it's, it's, um, it's, it is very important care because you, you need, I mean, as I know, I have three small kids, you need childcare. Um, if your attention is going to be on, on anything else, work or, or education. Um, so that's super important. Um, it's starting small. It's it's two moms, uh, right? And and I'm imagining, is this the very first year? Yeah, this was the inaugural semester. I witnessed okay. kind of the, the end of. And yeah, so for now, they just have the two moms. They were kind of trying to get the word out. And that was the, the response. That was, you know, what they had gotten initially. They have the capacity, though, to have up to 20 mothers. And wow. they want to expand even. Yeah, yeah, it's quite... It's quite incredible. And they they really want to bring in. So, yeah, in terms of the practical details, the schedule of student volunteer babysitters, um, you know, is is quite full. They coordinated that so that really these moms have a list of (laughs) babysitters they can just turn to when they need that. And, And that's so huge. The child care element, really, it's it's such a big deal. Um, right. You know, for for a young mom trying to make this work. Well, where did the idea come from? Um, it, it's it's a it's very unique, and of course, sure, college college students can babysit for <laughs> for these moms' um, um, children. That's that's a perfect you know practical solution. Where did the idea come from? Yeah, so it was really there was a, a couple that uh, they had financially supported University of Mary. They're very generous and they just had on their minds, they approached, um, you know, one of the staff and said, we, we want to do more. What can, how can we help women in this situation? They were, this was back in 2019. They just, they came with this idea. They had big hearts and they were like, we can, you know, we can, surely we can do something. And so the university turned around and said, okay, what's out there? Um, what do we have that's, you know, we can uniquely tailor to us, but what's out there? And so they, they found out about, you know, these other, um, you know, existing programs where, you know, other schools have really made some things work. There are kind of a few Catholic schools that had some things underway, even pre-Dobbs, right? Belmont Abbey uh, College has has a maternity home that pregnant students can utilize. Um, you know, so it's not totally, you know, new, the, the very mm-hmm. first of its kind, but it's, sure. it's kind of drawing from things like that. So, in their case, they don't have a separate, like, maternity home. The, the young ladies live in a residence hall and, um, you know, are very much just right there on campus. <laughs> yeah. So, there are several others. I'm, I'm looking at your story, which um, our listeners can find at ncregister.com. University of Mary creates community to empower young mothers facing unplanned pregnancies while pursuing degrees. And there, there are a few other places. So, you mentioned Belmont Abbey College and their maternity home. There is also a program at Ave Maria University where they, they have... Um, uh, babysitting and other resources, and also Catholic Uni- University of America is is trying to expand their support, babysitting and, and things like this. And it really does seem, um, Loretta, that this is kind of the next level. It's been around, like you said, it's pre-Dobbs, right? But this is the next level of support and education, in a sense, that we need to get out there to people that pro-life community the, the pro-life community is is looking for ways to support women as you 
you've covered the life issues for so long. You've covered abortion. That's, you know, this has really been your beat um, for the register. This is another example of that kind of of support. What are people saying about it, aside from just this, this university? Yeah, you know, really, it's been very inspiring for me to see that in the pro-life movement, one of the the young ladies, the residence life directors told me she felt like there's been a reawakening in the pro-life mm-hmm. movement post-Dobbs that, you know, some of this has been there, as you say, as as I've been aware, too, of, of really providing resources for women in these situations. But I think a new fire has been lit for pro-lifers to say, Okay, we really, you know, there there are people who talk about have, have these narratives about oh, pro-lifers only care about um, you know not aborting the baby, and then they they aren't there, and they really powerfully want to respond to that, particularly now, um, you know, when everyone is talking about this post-Dobbs. And so it's it's been really inspiring. I think it's it's a situation, you know, the U.S. bishops came out with their Walking with Moms in Need initiative, again, pre-Dobbs, but then post-Dobbs, they said, this is even more important. And, you know, Monsignor James Shea, who's the president of University of Mary, talked to me about how really we're called to give what he called a Mother Teresa witness, this mm-hmm. extreme witness of okay, if we really believe these ideas and we are holding up this ideal of we're, we're defending life at all its stages, we are consistent about this. We also want to provide as much aid and support as we can to back that up practically in the lives of people who are going through these difficult situations. Because, you know, often it's just they're not easy situations. Sometimes women just don't have these resources. Absolutely. You know, I was going to ask you about the name St. Teresa of Calcutta Community for Mothers. That's the name of the program at University of Mary. And yeah, it it is her witness, right? To roll up her sleeves, she often helped those who were dying in the streets of Calcutta. And uh, it was tough work. Uh, It's not easy um, to, to do that work. Um, and, and really what we learn to, to care for these mothers who are, um, making tough decisions and, and really trying to succeed, it is not an easy work, but we do need to roll up our sleeves, um, and pitch in. And I I just love that you were able to talk to students who are doing that too. So there are fellow students that you spoke to who are actually rolling up their sleeves and, and helping out. Yeah, that part was really incredible to, to be able to talk to one of the students. I mean, I was chatting with her as she was keeping up with little baby Lucia, like reading her a book, playing with her. And she was saying, yeah, you know, her Katie, Lucia's mom is, is in my program here, the social work program. And I'm really proud of all she's accomplished, you know, to and she talked about that witness of just seeing the strength of this young mom choosing life and being really able to to help it was so she said it was such a good feeling to to be able to practically do something right in this in this situation well we need this kind of hope so thank you so much for going out there and for covering it up close and and bringing it to us remember for more news analysis and commentary check out the national catholic register online at ncregister.com thanks for joining us on register radio here on ewtn for my producer jeff burson and myself Jeanette DeMello. i pray that god bless you for more information about the national catholic register and about register radio go to ncregister.com Podcasts of Register Radio are posted on ncregister.com and on ewtn.com. 
Join us next week at this time for Register Radio on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network.